Welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn Women's Basketball Podcast. I'm Daniel Connolly here with Megan Gower, and I can say for a fact that no matter what happens throughout the next hour or so of this podcast, it's going to go a lot better than first night went for UConn. So where do we start? It actually, considering how much we downplayed first night and how I said that I was just not excited for it at all and really had very low hopes, it started out great. We were walking in from the Worth Champion Center to Gamble, and the doors opened for a second, and just this unbelievable scream, crowd noise came out of Gamble. And I seriously thought that they were pumping in crowd noise because that's how loud it was. And it looked like it was packed inside. And you get in, and it was students only, remember, except for a very small section that was the recruits, which we'll talk about. Looked like friends and families, definitely some boosters. One section, the rest were all students. It was probably around like 8,000 people all packed in. It was a very, very impressive crowd for first night. They were loud. They were animated. They were ready to cheer. I mean, they weren't able to go to any games last year. They were ready to come out for some UConn basketball. Every single player introduction was really loud. Paige Beckers, I think, made my eardrums burst. I think it's just because I haven't been in a full arena or a full gamble in years. But that was seriously one of the loudest I've ever heard Gamble. And an entire half of the arena behind the stage was completely empty. So first night got off to as great of a start as it could have. I had incredible, my expectations, which were granted very low, were just blown out of the water. It wasn't as great for the people watching at home, though, from, from what I saw. So I'm fairly confident that UConn put in their press release announcing that first night was coming back that it was going to be streamed live on Facebook, right? Am I remembering that right? Did you see that too? I saw that too. I assume that part changed when they said they were going to stream it on Flow Sports, but then shocking to everyone that's ever used Flow Sports before, not really, it did not stream on Flow Sports. <laughs> yes, lots of angry people out there. Nothing like having an event to get everyone excited for basketball season, but you just restrict most of the general public from coming to the game and or to the event. And then they can't even watch it at home. That's when it really started to go off the rail. So the stream wasn't working. They finish the player introductions. They start warming up and the Gamble operation staff begins setting up the basket on one end of the court, the same side that the stage was on. And then after a couple minutes, it's like, Oh, they're having a little bit of trouble with that basket. Then it gets to about 10 minutes and it's like, gee, they're, they're really having trouble with that basket. So the men's team held an impromptu dunk contest, which I don't understand why the dunk contest got taken away to begin with, because that's one of the better parts of first night. Then they decided to completely scrap the intra-squad scrimmages and had UConn play a half court, had the women's basketball team play a half court four on four scrimmage. That was a travesty to the game of basketball. It was played at half speed. Pretty much everyone just touched the ball and took a three-pointer. It was not competitive at all. And the moment it started and people saw how bad it was, they started streaming out of Gamble. And then that finished after 10 minutes. The men didn't even do anything. They just decided, you know, we're good. I didn't stick around very long. I let the crowds dissipate. And then I went home to write. Such a great start. So many good things going. And then the stream fails. You can't get the basket in place. That's tough. That's just a very tough way to start 
what something that had so much potential. And I say that as someone who has never been a huge fan of first night. Yeah, I guess on the plus side, I'm glad I didn't drive to gamble after work for it, even though I couldn't watch it at home. But yeah, it's a little disappointing to see it go off with a lot of, or I don't know what I was trying to say there. It was to see it not go well, especially when there was so much hype around it. And I think people are really excited for basketball season. They're really excited to get back in the, in the stands and then it kind of fell a little bit flat on its face. On the bright side, I think it is pretty exciting to think about what basketball season is actually going to look like once games start and the baskets are in place hours before things get underway. And that is well sorted because if the crowd is that hyped up for, I mean, just player introductions pretty much. I can't imagine what that first basket's going to be like, what that first UConn run is going to be like, what that first opponent timeout, that first win, everything. I think the first game, even the exhibition game against Fort Hay State, I think the crowd is going to be juiced for that one. I think they're going to be especially amped up for the Arkansas game. So first night was a nice little tease of what it's like to have a crowd back. I'm really excited to see what it looks like with a full crowd, not just students, no disrespect to the students, obviously, with a real basketball game going on, not one of the worst air quotes basketball things I've ever seen in the scrimmage. So very exciting. And we were talking about this before we recorded. We have two full weeks before the regular season starts. We have one full week until the first exhibition game. That really snuck up quickly. Yeah, it's very close. I feel like I don't know what happened to the month of October, but it's basically over already. But I'm excited. We're into the part of the preseason now. That means watch lists are out. Preseason awards are out. Preseason polls are out. The Big East held its media day at Madison Square Garden on Tuesday the 19th. You know, I've never realized how easy it is to take the train from Hartford into New York City on Amtrak. It was, I mean, I was a little worried that, okay, it's a little tough to get in. You stop a million times taking Metro North. I got on the train in Hartford, Amtrak. We stopped, I think, like five times on the way down to New Haven, got on a train in New Haven, and then I think we just stopped in Stanford, And then we go into Penn Station, walked across the street, and we're in Madison Square Garden. I've never used Amtrak before. That was a life-changing discovery to find out how great Amtrak is. Not to get on too far of a sidebar, but no free ads, but Amtrak rocked. Um, Yeah, Amtrak rocks until you're delayed and stuck in various transitions for hours on end. Someone that used to take Amtrak basically every single week for work, (laughs) it only rocks so much. (laughs) Okay, that's fair. Well, in my very limited experience, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But yeah, very exciting to have in-person things again. Obviously, we got to hear from Gina Oriema, as well as Paige Beckers, AZ Fudd, Kristen Williams, Olivia Nelson-Adota, and Aaliyah Edwards, all of whom won some preseason awards. So Paige Beckers, as we expected, preseason player of the year for the Big East, coming off being the Big East freshman and player of the year. She was a unanimous choice. I don't think there's any surprise about that. AZ Fudd, also a unanimous choice for the Big East freshman of the year. Kristen Williams, Aaliyah Edwards, and Olivia Nelson-Adota all made the Big East all preseason team. And then in the stunner to end all stunners, UConn was picked to finish first in the Big East. <laughs> it's that time of the season. I mean, it would have... I think DePaul got Geno's vote, which... I mean, that feels right, but yeah, pretty much every, everything that I just said, checked off every box that we expected going into it. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. I do have a gripe with the way they do the preseason teams. Why does the women's Big East women's do like this massive team that everyone's on one team and it's like some arbitrary number of people on the preseason team? The men's team does a first team with five people and the second team with five people. Why don't we do that? Yeah, I <laughs> I'm not the one you to try to answer no that. <laughs> I mean, that feels like you could say that about a lot of things that go on in women's basketball compared to the men's. We'll get into more of what was said and what we learned from Biggie's Media Day later, but just to continue on the trends of watch list and preseason awards, Paige Beckers was a unanimous selection to the AP preseason All-American team. No surprise, only five players on that list, unlike the Big East All-Preseason team. All pretty much expected selections, too, besides Beckers. There was her, South Carolina's Aaliyah Boston, Iowa's Caitlin Clark, Kentucky's Ryan Howard. Who was the last one? Taylor's Melissa Smith. There we go. Yes, yes. There's one omission that people were mad about on Twitter, and I can't think of who it was. And it made sense, but also it came back to the point of who do you take off? Because I think those five are pretty deserving. Who was the one that was left off? Haley Jones from Stanford. Oh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, kind of agree. I probably would have had her on there. Just, I think there's like kind of a very clear top three teams in UConn, South Carolina, and Stanford. Feels a little odd that Stanford doesn't get a player in there, especially after the tournament run that Haley Jones had. I don't know. I think I would have her on there over Caitlin Clark or Ryan Howard. So I feel like she got snubbed a little bit, but I mean, it's just preseason. It doesn't really matter. Yes. That doesn't stop people from getting very mad online, <laughs> as we've learned. Pagebackers also made the Nancy Lieberman Award watch list, which goes to the best point guard in the nation. She obviously won that award last year. Other watch lists to mention, AZ Fudd and Kristen Williams are both on the Ann Myers Drysdale watch list, the best shooting guard in the country. Aaliyah Edwards and Dorka Juhas are in the Tr- Katrina McLean watch list, best power forward in the country. And then Olivia Nelson Adota is on the Lisa Leslie Award watch list, which you guessed it the best center in the country. And we were talking about this beforehand, but the small forward award, which I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. I was thinking about how last year Avina Westbrook was on that watch list when it was abundantly clear that Avina Westbrook was not a small forward. So that was pretty funny. No one's on that list for UConn this year, but yeah, it, it's that type of season where pretty much every day this week, I think tomorrow, the uh we're recording this on thursday so tomorrow the lisa leslie award is going to be on it we're just assuming olivia nelson adota will be there i believe she has been the last two years wasn't nelson adota finalist last year for the lisa leslie award i think she was i think that raised a couple eyebrows but i do think she was finalist (laughs) right and that was really just a formality because everyone in the world knew that charlie collier was going to win it did she win it last year who else would have did only a Boston or Canaan win it? I, I don't know that that happened. <laughs> I'm going to look it up. <laughs> I really thought it was Charlie Collier. Charlie Collier was underwhelming. She might have still won it, but. That, that really sums up Charlie Collier's career, doesn't it? <laughs> like no matter which big player that UConn, that UConn would have ended up with in the, what is that? The class of 2018. I feel like there would have been a degree of frustration no matter who it was, whether it was Liv or Collier, who was committed to UConn for a little bit. Trying to find who won it. I can find the finalists. I can't find who won it. <laughs> Is oh, it- I, think it, I think it was Leo Boston. Oh, whoops. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, Liv definitely wasn't going to win that award. We all knew that when the finalists came out. So Maybe no surprises there. 
Sorry, I don't know. <laughs> this is gonna bother me now. <laughs> All right, well, while you look that up, I will go on to my rant about ESPN's recruiting class rankings. They came out, I think it was about a week or two ago. UConn comes in at fourth, which, you know, on the surface, okay, that's fine. You dive into it a little bit. It's, well, it's not really ESPN. Premier Basketball runs ESPN's recruiting rankings. They're the ones that did it. Here's the thing. The, the article doesn't really go into how the recruiting classes are ranked. There's just a very vague two-sentence paragraph that says, quote, individual talents in the larger class can impact the weight of recruiting classes, but impact on the programs and also how well the pieces project to fit together in the programs can also influence the rankings. That is a very weird way of saying that we just kind of threw things at the wall and hope that they stuck. So there is very clearly a heavy emphasis on volume of recruiting classes and whatever fit means. So Oregon comes in at number one. I'll just start off by saying, I think first two, you can make some sort of argument for it. It's a weird argument, but you could probably make an argument for it. Oregon has four commitments. The top one is the number seven player in the class, Chance Gray, but the average ranking of its entire class in ESPN's rankings is 28.25. UCLA is number two. This one is a little tougher to comprehend. Their highest commitment is just the number 19 player in the class, Gabriella Jacquez. I, I don't know if that's how you say her name or if it's Aquas. The average ranking of their class is 27.5. So they're really going heavy on the volume of that. But okay, maybe you can argue that a class of four players is going to have a larger impact than UConn's class of two players. UConn's two commits, number four player in the class, Ayanna Patterson, and the number five player in the class, Azuna Brady, comes in at number four behind Oregon State, who also has two commitments. But there are two players, Tamia Gardner, she's number six, and Reagan Beers, who, although one of the best names in the sport or will be one of the best names in the sport, is the number 10 player in the class. I would love an explanation about how UConn can have the same number of commitments as Oregon State, and both their commitments are ranked higher than either of Oregon State's yet Oregon State gets the higher ranking. That makes absolutely no sense to me. And then that's just what makes me feel like the rankings are just complete like, oh, I'm some basketball analyst who is way smarter than everyone else. And obviously Gardner and Beers are fitting way better into Oregon State's program than Ayanna Patterson and Azuna Brady. What's the point of doing your rankings for individual players if a team that has two UConn's lower rated player is still one spot higher than Oregon state's top ranked player. And both of them are above them. I mean, it's just mind blowing. And then Stanford comes in at number five, even though they have the number one player in the class, Lauren Betts, who is a six, seven monster in the post, the rest of their recruits are ranked a lot lower, but still, when you get the number one player in the class, I feel like that should kind of count for something. It doesn't seem like there's any weight taken into where the players in these classes are ranked. I mean, Oregon, sure, they have the number seven player in the class. Maybe you can argue that she is the stereotypical Oregon player and she's going to take their program to a national championship. I don't know. If you really want to argue that, sure. I UCLA, it's a lot tougher to say, okay, their highest player is number 19 when they're ahead of UConn, they're ahead of Stanford and Oregon State. Three teams that all have very highly ranked recruits 
it really just makes no sense to me. I really don't like when recruiting rankings are weighted so heavily on how many players are there because I just don't feel like that has a ton of value. How many class, how many senior classes are there in the country that are currently better than Kristen Williams and Olivia Nelson Adota? There might be some, I don't know every roster off the top of my head, but pretty much every single program, not every single, 90% of programs in the country would take those two as a senior class over four good to mediocre players. I mean, it's, you, you win in basketball with talent and UConn, Stanford and Oregon state have all collected a lot of very high talent. This isn't like football or this isn't even really like hockey where you need a little bit more volume to fill out your roster. If you have two really good players every single year and have an eight player roster, you can more than comfortably win a national championship with that. If you recruit, right. UConn's won national championships with thin rosters. They also won them with deep rosters, but just in general, this is a gripe that I have with recruiting services that they put so much emphasis on volume when I really don't think volume means anything. UConn had one of the best recruiting classes in the country two years ago because they had Paige Beckers, because they had Aaliyah Edwards, because they had Mir McLean, who was a very highly ranked recruit. And if you go back and look at that, UConn, if you were re-ranking the recruiting classes, UConn would still be really high because one, they have Paige Beckers and every single team in the country would take Paige Beckers over the rest of their recruiting class. You also got Ali Edwards, Nika Mule, two really big contributors, and then Mir McLean and P.F. Gabriel, who might end up being contributors down the road. That's where volume and talent are both combined. But again, any team in the country would take Paige Beckers over their 2020 recruiting class. I think Gino said that and caught a lot of flack on Twitter, but it's absolutely true because she's the best player in the country and she would be the best player in every single program's history, except UConn, Tennessee, right now, Oregon, because Sabrina Ionescu would still have her beat, Stanford, and I don't know, USC. Like, there's not a very long... South Carolina in there too, Asia Wilson. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, definitely. So there's a very small list of programs that have had a player that's better than Paige Becker's already is. So I just needed to really get that out of my system. I wrote about it in the weekly premium, but it's just, I needed to rant a little bit and get that off my chest because I mean, Oregon and UCLA, I have a bit of a disagreement with, especially UCLA, but just Oregon state being above UConn, despite having two recruits, the same number of recruits, but lower ranked recruits. It's just so contradictory to the rankings that you put out there. I mean, it, <laughs> it's just, I don't understand. Either don't put out player rankings or move UConn's two recruits back behind Oregon States or change your team rankings. It, it's stupid. It blew my mind. Once I started doing the research on it and saw that that was Oregon State's class, I just, ridiculous. UCLA is pretty bad too, the more I think about it. Your best recruit is a number 19 player in the class. Like, yeah, that could be a really good recruiting class for UCLA and who has the best recruiting classes doesn't mean those are going to be the best players too, but just, I mean, so stupid, so bad. <laughs> well, well, while you ranted about that, I did confirm that Aliyah Boston did win. <laughs> okay. 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 So it wasn't a <laughs> Charlie Collier in a runaway. Whoops. Did Charlie Collier win it the year before? I really thought Charlie Collier won it. Boston won it back to back. So no. Really? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> did Collier win like the power forward award? I don't, I don't know. I can look it up. I don't think so though. What am I? Maybe you're just remembering that she was the number one recruit or number one like draft pick. <laughs> Maybe. I really thought that she won. Huh. I don't know. Yeah, she's only been a finalist for it. She never won. Yeah, I'm going to guess that Aaliyah Boston becomes a three-time winner. Yeah, I would also second that. I think, I mean, there are a couple other good centers. You've got, like, Eliza Kinane at NC State. But, yeah, I would be pretty shocked if Aaliyah Boston also won it. And Aaliyah Boston didn't even have that good of a sophomore year, too. That's kind of terrifying. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) I actually think she was better her freshman year than she was last year. So, Right. Terrifying to think about how good she could be. <laughs> yeah, like I know I've said that UConn, Stanford, and South Carolina all have pretty similar talents, but Paige Beckers is really kind of the differentiating differentiating factor between those three teams because she's the best player in the country. I almost feel like it's harder to stop an incredibly good big compared to someone like Paige Beckers, a really good guard. I think it's easier for a guard to have more of an impact on a game, but when you have like an elite, elite, elite big, especially in college, especially someone like Aaliyah Boston, I don't know. That's tough. Like UConn has a lot more firepower to try and stop her. And I think, I think UConn has more options besides Beckers. Whereas I think if Boston's not going for South Carolina, it's a lot tougher for them to win, but yeah, that's, and she's only going to be a junior. That's that's fun. And they added Camilla Cardoso from oh, that's right. Syracuse, too. Like, they have probably the best front court in the country. Oh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays together, though. I think the thing that held Boston back last year was sometimes it felt like they just didn't play through her, which is like, you have a Liam Boston on the floor. Why would you not? She should touch the ball every possession. If not, you're doing something wrong. But I right. feel like that was a problem quite a bit, and I think – their guards aren't as good as UConn's backcourt. So it'll be interesting. I'm excited for when those two teams play, hopefully twice. Yeah, see, I've said that Olivia Nelson Adota in big games doesn't have to be like 20 points and 10 rebounds. She just has to hold her own against the opposing team's top bigs. Against South Carolina, you don't want to be trying to score through Olivia Nelson Adota because you have Aaliyah Boston there. Like you have the matchup prop or the matchup advantage with your guards. You're going to want to attack their guards and avoid Aaliyah Boston at all costs. You need Liv defensively in that game. And I could see that being a game where you have Liv and Aaliyah Edwards in there the entire time, or Dorka. I mean, you have Aaliyah Edwards in every single time Aaliyah Boston is in, and then you're rotating in Dorka and Olivia Nelson Adota, depending on how those two are playing. But you basically have to make South Carolina beat you without Aaliyah Boston, or you have to make sure that it's only Aaliyah Boston scoring. I mean, you you have to pick one of the two, and I would rather have South Carolina beat me without Aaliyah Boston because at that point you just tip your cap, and it's like, okay, there's nothing more you can do. If you shut down Aaliyah Boston to, like, 10 points, and, I mean, I feel weird saying shut her down to 10 points and 10 rebounds, but, like, that feels pretty reasonable. If if UConn limits her to that, they're going to win the game. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the key is to how much can you shut her down. I think we saw it last season a lot that like if South Carolina doesn't get the ball to her, they struggled quite a bit. 
And their guards do have a tendency, hopefully, I mean, hopefully for their sake, at least it's going to be something they've corrected this year, but they have a tendency to take quick shots and not great shots. Um, and they don't have like the highest shooting percentages in their backcourt. So it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, I think they're going to try to correct that. But if you can limit how much he touches the ball when they play, I think they're going to be in good shape. I wonder if there's anything to the fact that Don Staley was guard and I wonder if she's more comfortable coaching guards or at least playing to a style of guards as compared to just building the entire offense around Aaliyah Boston, because Gino just said this recently. I can't remember if it was which availability it was, but he said that no one likes to just throw the ball into the post and let the bigs do their work, but he would still be more than happy to do that. If you got had Aaliyah Boston, that's exactly what they would be doing. They would be getting the ball to Aaliyah Boston every single time on the inside that they could. Whereas obviously that's not the way you play with Olivia Nelson Adota. And that's not a knock on Olivia Nelson Adota. That's just not using her skill set to your advantage. But I wonder if it is because Don Staley was a guard, if she's not super comfortable with that type of offense and doesn't coach that well. I, I really don't know the answer to that. If someone who follows South Carolina more closely than I do wants to answer that without a long, uh, angry rant on Twitter at me like that. That is just a genuine question. If that's a thing or not. I feel like you're asking for angry South Carolina fans that you mentioned. Granted, they probably don't listen to our podcast because that would be too much about UConn. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, that's their only um, setting. Yeah, angry. <laughs> that is true. They're so angry all the time. I, I feel like now that we're talking about that, like, I don't know if you saw it today, but we're going to talk about the AP poll in a second, but they all use PM like released their bracketology today for the preseason as well. And UConn was ranked like the number one overall seed in there and South Carolina friends were having a field day with that. They were very angry. See, well, this is a perfect segue into the AP poll. So the preseason AP poll came out. South Carolina was number one. UConn was number two and Stanford was number three. I've talked plenty about how I think South Carolina is going to be one of the three best teams in the country this year. And it's going to be one of those three teams that I just mentioned, that's going to win the national championship. I just don't really understand how South Carolina gets the number one spot. And I don't, I would have, I would be saying the same thing if UConn was in the number one spot, why isn't it Stanford? Stanford is coming off the national championship. They bring back pretty much everybody except Kiana Williams. They also still have a really good team. They kind of feel like the, I mean, it's a preseason poll. So don't you defer a little bit to what happened last year where, okay, they finished the season. Number one, they're still number one. If UConn was coming off a national championship and returned their whole roster, they would be number one. And that's the way it should be. So I, I knew it was going to be those three teams in some combination of one, two, three. I would have guessed that it was South that Stanford one, and then either UConn or South Carolina two, three. And I don't really think it matters. And it doesn't matter which one is one, two, and three anyways. And obviously it's going to change somehow because UConn and South Carolina are probably playing each other twice. So I don't know. I just really feel like Stanford should be number one and I don't understand why they aren't. See, I actually disagree with you. I thought that either UConn or or South Carolina should be number one and Stanford should be three between UConn and South Carolina. I think it's splitting hair. So I don't really have, I think they're like one A and one B. But to me, it's because, so South Carolina and UConn both returned their entire rosters, but they also both added like big impact transfers and have really big freshman classes coming in. So they've returned their entire roster and gotten better. They're Stanford. Of course, they won the national championship last year, but I think losing Keanu Williams is a bigger loss than people think it is. They don't have a point guard right now. Like that's a 
big hole to have to fill. I think, you know, it's going to take them a while to figure that out. I don't think there's an obvious person on their roster that's going to fill that role. And then also they didn't necessarily have the biggest additions in the offseason. They didn't have any like really big impact transfers or a huge freshman class coming in this year. So I think they've probably stayed about the same, whereas I think South Carolina and UConn have gotten significantly better. Okay. I understand that. Like, I understand what you're saying. I, I think I still come down to the preseason poll is so incredibly pointless that I think you still <laughs> should give some credit to what a team did last year as part of that. Like, I mean, I remember UConn men's basketball. One of the times they came off a national championship. I can't remember if it was 2011 or 2014 when Kemba slash Shabazz graduated, like you lose the best player in the country and they were still like number five in the preseason poll. So I feel like, like I understand what you're saying. South Carolina and UConn are probably better on paper right now, even though Stanford's in the same class as them. But when it's still that close, I just feel like it should have been Stanford one. But again, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, you're correct. It doesn't really matter at all. It'll all change in a week anyway. <laughs> or two right. <laughs> Couple podcasts ago, I can't remember what number it was. You were adamant that Louisville is not going to be a very good team. They come in at number six in the preseason poll. What are your thoughts? I don't agree with it. I just, I know they have some decent transfers, but I think that that team just like ran on Dana Williams. So, or not Dana Williams. They ran on Dana Evans so much last season. Like she was kind of picked that team up and put them on her back many times and you lose that. And I just, I don't see an obvious answer of how they're going to like come out and be the number six team in the country. I think they're highly overrated at the moment. I have nothing to add there. I will say Baylor at seven feels like they're being ranked for their name. New head coach. You lose Dee Richards. You lose. Uh, I know her name. I know her name. What's her name? Help me out. The hey, player who's in. They yes. also lost Moon Erson. Yeah, they lost quite a bit. <laughs> and you have a new coach. That I don't yeah. really know how that translates to the number seven team in the country. I also think that they're a little overranked. I think they're a team that might pull it together. I think you still have Melissa Smith. You still have some other pieces from kind of some of their good recruiting classes in the past few years. And you have a new coach, but you have a new coach that's a former WNBA coach. So I think it's a little bit different than having like a brand new coach. But I, yeah, I still think they're a little overrated at seven at the moment. Then Iowa at number nine. Has Iowa made any major additions besides just having Caitlin Clark? No, I also think that was funny. I, I like really have a lot of gripes with this entire poll. I mean, Notre Dame got votes, so like, oh, I God. That like sums up how I feel about the poll. <laughs> yeah, I, I was talking with someone, who was it, at Media Day. I can't think, I can't remember who it was that was trying to defend Notre Dame getting votes in the poll, and I just wasn't having it. We talked about this, I think, did we talk about this? Weren't they getting votes in the poll last year? Yeah, for like a long time. Yeah, a like long a preposterous amount of time. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's so funny because people are always so up in arms about like there being some kind of UConn bias. And I'm like, we don't talk about the fact that Notre Dame is literally like one of the worst teams in like the Power 5 conferences all year and still manages to get top 25 votes. <laughs> what is that? I know, I know that. <laughs> it's just, and then, I mean, you're really big on UCLA and they're number 20. 
Yeah, I'm not surprised. I think 20 is way too low. I'm not surprised to see them lower down, but like I think they've just made so many big moves in terms of transfers and stuff that I'm kind of shocked to see them that low. I figured they'd be a little underrated, but I think that's a little too underrated. Yeah. Where would you have put them? Um, probably like, well, where I think they'll actually end up being is definitely a top 10 team. I don't know that I expected to see them in the top 10 to start, but I would have seen like probably closely outside of the top 10. Um, I don't know. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of big 10 teams in this like top two, which I think is going to be interesting when we see big 10 teams play non-big 10 teams. I think we saw it in the tournament last year, but they all had these like really high offensive ratings. So they didn't really play any teams outside of the big 10 last year. And I just think the defense in the big 10 leaves something to be desired. And that's a big part of that. Right. Uh, not to go back on this point, but to go back on this point, was Iowa even ranked last season? Uh, let's see. No, they weren't. <laughs> so somehow they've got <laughs> unranked to number nine in the country just because they have Kaylee Clark. <laughs> Which, sure, that's very important piece, and she probably should be better as a sophomore. But, but like basketball is a sport where you could have a star carry you pretty far but you still need literally anybody else on the team you need someone else with a pulse out there and i'm not really sure if they have that <laughs> yeah i mean, do have monica Susano as well she's good as well but i mean that's still just two players i let's i feel like if you think about like the fact that you can pretty much beat them down in that like sweet 16 game and that was a weaker uconn team with basically the same iowa team how are they the number nine team in the country <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe if you're taking the teams that made the Sweet 16 and then you're removing the ones that lost a lot of pieces, I don't know, maybe what would that be? Five teams in the, but still, I, I'd understand them maybe being somewhere in the poll thinking that Caitlin Clark can really carry them, but a top 10 team ahead of Oregon. It doesn't make any sense. They're ahead of like Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech made the Sweet 16 and they return virtually everything. <laughs> ahead of Tennessee like I, none of it makes much sense I mean we can stop going on about it <laughs> I just don't remember the preseason poll I don't remember it being this bad or maybe I just didn't have as great of a grip on the rest of the country I think a big part of it is like there's a very clear one two and three like it's South Carolina UConn Stanford is like their own tier pretty much going to the season and I think there's like a clear like four and five like Maryland and NC State are definitely up there and then I think it's a whole bunch of question marks after that like there's really just like it's like this top tier these teams that are like kind of off just off the top tier and then everybody else I know we've talked about this a little bit just to put you on the spot quickly who's a team that you really like outside that top three they don't think people are talking about enough well UCLA but I already talked about yes. this oh, do you have a second that. choice there yeah, I feel like NC State is a team that's, like, not really getting a lot of hype, but they, they return a lot, too. Eliza Kinane is really good. I think they're a team to keep an eye on. They're going to win the ACC. They actually play, I think, South Carolina's opener is at NC State, so that's going to be a great game. Um, so I think that's one to keep an eye on as well. Was it last year that NC State beat South Carolina in just one of the worst basketball games ever played? 
I think so. Actually, it was like the opening game last season, wasn't it? Or maybe it was two seasons ago. I don't know. It all blurs together. But yeah. It really does. <laughs> I thought it like it was a very low final score. And I think Don Staley literally said something after the game along the lines of like, yeah, that was incredibly ugly. Yeah, it was. A very and then like people were giving her some flack for being a sore loser. But then I saw some other people saying like, OK, anyone who's mad about what Don Staley said clearly didn't watch the game because it was an atrocity. Yeah, it was. I remember watching a game. It was horrible. <laughs> Believe me, Don Staley will give you more than enough opportunities to make fun of her for something that she says after a game. <laughs> Has anyone checked with the Battle of Atlantis or the Battle for Atlantis about what brand of balls they're going to use down yeah. there? Someone should probably check it on that. Make sure it's whatever <laughs> brand that she likes to use. <laughs> Oh my God. Just the fact that that was the first thing out of her mouth after the loss to UConn. Look, I'm not making excuses, but these were Nike balls and we're used to practicing with Wilson. It's like, you, you can't, you didn't just say that. Like, I really thought I was hallucinating that you blame the balls for losing that game. That was incredible. I feel like top, like wildest thing I've ever heard someone come out of their mouth in like a press conference. And that's saying something considering we've seen Kimulki start singing. <laughs> oh man, I'm from the old school. A lot has happened since we last podcast. We've heard a lot about the team, and there are a million quotes swimming around in my head. And for some reason, this is the one I want to talk to first. But during Biggie's media day, someone asked Gino if anyone's been impressing him during practice, and just out of nowhere. He starts talking about P.F. Gabriel, someone that I think I can count on one hand the number of times Gino, without being asked about her, has started talking about P.F. Gabriel. He called her the player of the week of the past week. And he said, quote, she's going to help us. I mean, she doesn't know it, but I know it. So he kind of went from saying like, oh, yeah, P.F. is going to help this year. But then someone asked him directly, so is she going to contribute this year? And he goes, Oh, I have no idea. Okay, that's not really helpful. But I think the gist of it was that she's really tall. She's got great feet. She works super hard. She wants to be good. She's starting to understand it. And most importantly, she's starting to look like the player UConn recruited. He called her shell-shocked all of last year. So it seems like at least she's looking like the player that she was in high school, even if she's not ready to contribute. But that really just kind of came out of nowhere, in my opinion. But it's just a really positive sign that Gino's being that positive about her right now. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the fact that she's going to spend a lot of minutes on the court this season, probably not. But, I mean, it's a good sign for UConn's future depth. It's definitely when you know that Olivia Nelson-Dona is probably leaving after this year. Um, so there's going to be more space in the front court. Granted, they have plenty of depth, additional depth that could fill in there too. But it's also probably a good sign for practice. Like, I think the better that she is, the when they're playing each other in practice and stuff, it's going to be more comparable to like what they're going to see on the court in terms of the big. So that's going to be an advantage for UConn too. I also found it really interesting. I was curious what Gino thought, because I know I've written a couple of times, like, okay, Amari DeBerry, from what we've heard, isn't really ready for playing time yet. And she didn't even participate in the time that we saw in the first practice. So, you know, maybe it's beneficial that she doesn't have to go out there right away and UConn doesn't rely on her. But then when I asked Gino, he kind of took a different tone. He said he'd honestly rather 
just throw a player out into the fire and let them figure out the example used was Steph Dolson wasn't ready to play and Steph Dolson wasn't ready to play against Brittany Griner in her second career game. And she followed out with, I think he said 30 minutes left or something like that played horrible, obviously got a lot better from there, but he was still very, very complimentary of Amari DeBerry saying that she might be the best big, the best skill saying that she might be the best skilled big kid they've had in a long time. She's more skilled than he thought. And she are, and he already thought that she was skilled, but he doesn't want them just sitting and getting comfortable watching and waiting. He wishes there was more urgency. And that's maybe where UConn's depth might, the only issue UConn might have with its depth is okay. If PF Gabriel is starting to look like she might figure it out. And if Amari DeBerry might need a little push to start figuring it out, they're really not going to get any playing time this year. And even if I think PF develops significantly this season, how much time can you really give her if Olivia Nelson Adota is a lot better as a senior, if Aaliyah Edwards is a lot better as a sophomore, if Duke, if Dorka Uhas is what you expect out of her as a transfer, do you really have a spot for a fourth big? Maybe you could try and get her a couple minutes here and there, but I just, with the players that they have, I don't really know that there's going to be a whole lot of time except maybe garbage time to give those two some time. So I thought it was a little interesting that there might be one singular downside to having all this depth. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, especially because like you have to consider like the long-term stuff there, even when there is this garbage time, like how much are they going to play versus how much are you trying to make sure your other players are conditioned to play a full 40 when they need to. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes up because there's just there's too much depth on this team for everyone, even players that might be close to ready to really get the minutes. Right, and as we've seen in the past, garbage time is not exactly conducive to development. It's usually a bit of a mess, and I mean, it's not like Piath is going to be out there with Paige Becker's a whole lot passing her the ball or with other good players around her. She's going to be out there with a lot of other players trying to figure out and trying to impress. So I just think it might be a little tough. And I think to a certain degree, the same thing might apply to Caroline Ducharm, even though I do think Caroline's going to play this year. Gino said that there are times where she and AZ both look like that. They've been here for a while and they know what they're doing. And there's other times they look like freshmen, but there's just so many players in that backcourt. And I think it was during first night that he said that Nika is the type of player that can do what no one else on the team can do. And we've talked about where does Nika really fit in on this podcast from what he said, it did not sound like Nika was going to be a player that was about to lose her spot. So if you think that there's Paige, there's Kristen, there's Avina, there's Nika all locked into playing time. I'd be very surprised if AZ wasn't having a big impact on this team. I think Caroline's going to get minutes but she probably isn't going to get as many as she would have last year as a freshman, if she was a freshman or two years ago, or really even three years ago. So how's that going to affect her development? If she's not playing as much as she would have in a, I guess, quote, normal year, even though she might make an impact and like, is it better for a player to only play, I don't know, let's say 10 minutes a game and look pretty good in those 10 minutes a game or to play 25 minutes a game and sometimes look really good and sometimes look really bad. I don't know if there's a real clear answer to that. I feel like it probably depends on every single player, but what if Megan Walker didn't leave early and she was the go-to scorer on the team last year and Kristen Williams was the number two. What if there wasn't that 
huge void for Paige to step into and become the best player in the country. Would she still have been the best player in the country? Obviously, we'll never know. And I mean, it's very possible. She's unbelievable. But I just think the opportunity that Paige had last year was such a key factor in how good she was and all the accolades that she won. AZ's not going to have that same opportunity. So AZ could be as good as Paige was last year and just not have to be the best player in the country. So she won't be. I think, I mean, Paige just had the best freshman year ever. So I don't want to say that AZ should be having that good of a year, but just the opportunity that Paige had and really that Aaliyah, Nika had, Aubrey Griffin, especially two years ago, this year's freshman class for the most part, isn't going to have that. So I just wonder if that's going to put them a little behind the eight ball. Yeah, that's fair. There's a lot more depth on this team than we've seen in recent years. I think in the past few seasons, there's been huge holes that if the freshmen could step up, step up and fill them, they were going to get that opportunity to do that. And I don't really think that's the case this year. What you said about Nika makes perfect sense. I think we saw her come into the game a lot last year and pretty much change the game with what she could do on the defensive end. And I think that's first freshman, especially a role that's usually pretty hard to fill. So the fact that someone else is going to be able to come in and do that probably not so like you said her minutes are probably aren't going away you know that AZ is going to play a big role so there's probably just there's only so many minutes to go around and there's just so much talent in this backcourt I think it's also going to be really interesting to see how the versatility of this team comes out because I remember when this current freshman class signed last November Gino pretty much the first thing he said was that they hadn't been as versatile as they've wanted to be the last few years and this class was a really key step in changing that and it felt like he was specifically talking about Caroline Ducharm and Sailor Poffenbarger as that bigger guard kind of, I don't want to compare him to Katie Lou, but just in that same mold, a three-point shooting, tall, big guard. And then I think Aubrey Griffin also kind of fits into that category and Aaliyah Edwards. If those players can be more versatile, maybe just looking more specifically at Aubrey, Aaliyah, and Caroline, then that could maybe help them see a little more playing time because you could conceivably have a lineup that has two bigs, whether it be some combination of Olivia Nelson, a Dota, Dorka, Juhas, and Aaliyah Edwards. And if Aubrey Griffin can have more guard skills, if she can hit more shots, if she can be better off the dribble, then she can go in as a three. Whereas as a freshman, she was the top backup to Olivia Nelson, a Dota. And she played with Olivia Nelson, a Dota too, but she was mostly in the front court. If she can develop some of those guard skills, then not only is that more of an opportunity for UConn to have different lineups, that's also an opportunity for Aubrey Griffin to get a different type of playing time than she would have been getting in the past. Or if Aaliyah Edwards can have more of an outside game, can you imagine if UConn had Olivia Nelson Adota and Dorky Uhas in the post and then Aaliyah Edwards playing out on the wing? I don't think the other team would even touch the ball because UConn would just grab every single rebound possible. So I, I think there's a lot of really interesting combinations that we could see if the versatility of this team is kind of what we expect it to be. And I think that's also going to play a really big part in how some of these players are going to get times and how the rotation is going to play out. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's we're going to see different things too. I think we've talked about this in the past, but I think it's going to vary a little bit based on like who they're playing and what you need in any given night. I think there's, you know, a lot of different teams on the schedule. You need different things against South Carolina that you need against Tennessee than you need against Seton Hall. So it's going to, it's going to vary I think, a lot depending on who they're playing too. Right. And I think that's kind of a better way to look at the rotation than all right, well, Paige is going to play 35 minutes a game and Kristen's, she's going to be in there for around 32 and Liv's going to get 25. 
I just don't feel like that's a great way to figure out this rotation. And Gino talked about it and I wrote about it on how he thought about, I don't know if he was serious or not, but I still used it. Nonetheless, he was thinking about taking all of the all American names and all of the national player of the year names off the wall in the gym, because he thinks it just paralyzes some players coming in and thinking, Oh my God, I need to live up to that. And his point was, no, you don't need to live up to that. We just need you to be the best version of yourself. And I think that really fits with what this team's trying to do for the rotation. And I really like Nika Mule as the example for this. So let's throw Nika Mule on the 2019-20 season. So the Megan Walker Crystal Dangerfield year. Nika Mule's on that team as a sophomore in the same spot. They couldn't just use her as a defense pass first guard. She would have to do a pretty good amount of scoring. She would have to shoot the ball a lot it wouldn't really fit to her game. She would obviously still contribute defensively in passing, but there would be a lot more of an onus on her to score the ball. Whereas this year, Nika probably doesn't even have to put the ball in the basket once they don't need her to be a scoring guard. They just need her for that defense and that passing. And that's how she can be the best version of herself. And if she doesn't have that pressure to score, then I think it's going to be a lot easier for her to find the basket for her to take open shots when other people are kind of taking the defense away from her or Olivia Nelson, Adota. And I have talked so much and written so much about Olivia Nelson, Adota this off season about how I think she's going to have a really good senior year. And I don't think her having a great senior year involves her putting up 20 and 10 every single game. I think we saw in the NCAA tournament that she is really good as a point forward when she doesn't need to score the ball And I think this year more so way more so than any other year that she's been at UConn, UConn isn't going to need her to score a ton. She's going to have to score some, she's going to have to score the points that are there. She can't be completely missing the rim like she did against Arizona on layups, but you have Dorka Juhas, who is definitely more of a scoring forward slash center than Nelson Adota. I think we saw in the NCAA tournament, how good Aaliyah Edwards is at scoring the ball. So if Nelson Adota can just focus on being a passer through the post on being a really good defender, on just scoring the opportunities that she has, I think that can be Olivia Nelson Adota being the best version of herself. And then if you need some more scoring in the post, that's when you can bring Aaliyah Edwards in to play next to Nelson Adota, or you can bring Dorky Juhas in. You just have a lot of combinations there. I really feel like that's how it applies to the entire roster. UConn doesn't need every single player to be Paige Beckers. They need Paige Beckers to score a lot and be a really good passer. They need Kristen Williams to be a great defender and the number two scorer. That doesn't mean they're not going to be asking a lot of players, but not every single player on the floor is going to have to do everything. Everyone out there is going to have a specific role and the scope of their role and exactly what that entails or how many different roles they can fill. That's going to change throughout the season. And that's going to change depending on how they're playing but I don't think it's a matter of minutes. I just think it's a matter of opportunity. It's a matter of what the team needs. And it's really just a matter of what each player can bring to the floor. That's going to decide how this rotation pans out. Yeah, I agree. I think we could see something that's, you know, you know, typical seven or eight deep per game, but I think it could vary who that like seven or eight is per game based on what they need and what roles people are playing. And I think that's going to be really interesting to watch. I think it's going to create a lot of different storylines, like going into the season too. I don't think it's going to be like, I feel like we're not going to see, I mean, Paige Beckers is still going to be a a great, but I don't think it's going to be like every game Paige Beckers takes over and wins game. Like I think there's going to be more storylines to talk about and things to talk about in the season. Yeah. And I think 
kind of looking at Aubrey Griffin's freshman year where, I mean, they needed her every single game, but when she went off for those huge rebounding and scoring performances, I think we could see a lot of that this year from different players where I think Paige is probably going to get like 15 a game. Kristen's going to get like 15 a game. So there's 30 points a game that you already have lopped off. I think Avina's going to get consistently 10, but Avina's a player that I think you could see your score 20, 25 some game, and you could see your score zero some games, and she still has a really good game when she scores zero. Or, I mean, Olivia Nelson and Dota, for all her faults, still dominates these smaller teams. And I feel like people kind of brush over that a little too easily where it's like, oh yeah, she only dominates the teams without size that are bad. And it's like, right. But she's still dominating them. Like that's not a bad thing. She's still playing really good in those games. You can, that can be true. And she can also really struggle against better teams. Both those things can be true, but there's going to be a couple games this year. I guarantee where Olivia Nelson Adota probably has like, 25 20 25 points and 15 rebounds or something like that and it'll probably be against butler or someone but still that's fine i think yeah Paige and Kristen are going to be kind of consistent presences on the top of the scoring charts but i think we're going to see it rotate throughout everyone else Aliyah edwards is going to have a few big games in a row aubrey griffin's going to show up some nights caroline ducharm's going to get hot from three there was a game last year where nika mule had what 15 points in the first mm-hmm. quarter I think that type of performance, the, oh my God, where did this come from? I think that's going to be a consistent thing for this team throughout the season. And I really feel like it'll just be a lot of it is Gino Oriama coaching with feel instead of this is the set rotation that we're using. It's okay. Dork is playing really good today. Liv's not playing a lot, not because she's not playing well, but Dork is just playing really well. Or Nika's not getting a whole lot of minutes because AZ's just shooting the lights out or AZ's not playing a ton because Nika's just having a really good game. I think the playing t- the amount of playing time is going to depend just on how well someone's doing less so than they're not playing because they're not playing well. And that that will happen too. where, I mean, even Kristen or page, those two players can afford to have an off night most nights this year, whereas they really couldn't do that last year. So I just think it's going to be really interesting. I always think back to the 2017, 18 season, the year with Azare. I remember that being an incredibly boring year as a reporter because there was nothing to ever write about after every single game. It was the same five or six players doing it every single time. And they won every single game the same way. I don't think that's going to be the case this year. I think there's always going to be something different happening each game. That'll be interesting to just dissect, talk about, and just kind of go through each night. Yeah. And I think that makes it really exciting. It makes me really excited for the season because especially when you get into Biggie's play and you have some of these more mundane weeks where like, yeah, you might have like Seton Hall, but then you also just have like St. John's and Providence and like there's not anything too exciting to expect from that game. Not knowing who's going to be the person that steps up and score and things like that is going to make it more interesting to see what happens. I'm going to put you on the spot. I'll go first, but what really weird breakout performance do you think UConn's going to have this year? I think Avina Westbrook, she came very close in the NCAA tournament. I think she's going to have, what is it, the seventh triple-double in program history? It's amazing how UConn's been so good for so long and they have so few (laughs) triple-doubles. I think Avina Westbrook has a triple-double and she has more points. No, 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 no. She has more rebounds than she has points in that game. Interesting. Okay. Um, God, I'm not prepared for this. Uh... That's the point. I know. (laughs) But now I'm, like, stuck. I'm trying to think. 
I feel like we're going to see like a game and I don't know who, but like from someone that we're not talking about all the time, like we've kind of, you know, narrowed down (laughs) this like rotation of like 10 players that we're going to see like all the time. But I feel like there's like a game from maybe it's Mary McLean or who knows, maybe PS Gabriel where they're like playing Providence or something like that, where, you know, they were winning by 40 by halftime and they get some more minutes and they're going to score like, you know, have like 10 points or something crazy that we wouldn't expect to see out of them. I like that. I was actually literally before you started talking, I was thinking, hmm, I could actually really see Sailor Poffenbarger having one, a singular like 12 point night or like an Anamakarat type night where oh. she comes in, hits a bunch of threes and only scores on threes, but ends up with like 18 points or something like that just because she went off from three. But that's all we hear of Sailor Poffenbarger for this season. I, so along those lines of your prediction, yeah, I could see that. Also, I'm very interested in what Mir McLean's season is going to be like, because at the start of last season, she was legitimately good, making some legitimate contributions, playing really well, and it really faded as the year went on. I just don't know where she fits in this year because she clearly has the talent. It's not like previous players that never really panned out where it's like, okay, well, they just weren't meant for this level. Mir McLean came in like three or four years ago in let's say the crystal danger field class, she would have been an immediate contributor right away. And she would have been a really good player by her sophomore year. But I guess kind of the same point that we talked about with PF Gabriel and Amari DeBerry is when you're forced to use players, they become a lot better quicker. Aubrey Griffin, if Aubrey Griffin and Mir McLean were in different swapped classes and Mir was the older one and Aubrey was the younger one. I kind of feel like we'd be talking about them the same way as in Mir being the established spark plug off the bench and not really knowing where Aubrey fits. So I'm a big Mir McLean fan and I really like her game. And I think she brings a lot, but I just don't really know how she fits in with so much talent and being a very similar player to Aubrey Griffin too. Yeah. I think that's fair. It's just like, there's kind of like, they're so similar and there's like we've said a hundred times already, but the, like, there's just so much depth on this team, so there's only so many minutes, and how do you fit in? I don't know. I could see them using, like, her and Aubrey kind of interchangeably. Like, one might have a good night one night, one another night. Who knows? It'll be interesting to see. On the weekly premium, which you should subscribe to if you haven't, I put out a mailbag request a couple of days ago, and someone actually hit me with a very interesting question that I would like to get your take on. So, it was... Has Gino considered having a second five that could come in with three or so minutes left in a quarter and push the starters and the other team, which I don't think it's going to happen, but I really like the thought experiment of this. So just for argument's sakes, I'm going to build two teams. So the starters are going to be Paige Beckers, AZ Fudd, Kristen Williams, Avina Westbrook, and Olivia Nelson Adota. The second team is going to be Nika Mule, Caroline Ducharm, Aubrey Griffin, Aliyah Edwards, and Dorka Juhas. I don't think there's like a ton to say about the starters that kind of speaks for itself, but that second team isn't going to be giving up any points. They're going to be rebounding everything, but I'm not sure how they're actually going to score points themselves. Yeah. It's interesting. Honestly, it probably works against like 90% of UConn's opponents. Like, well, maybe not 90%, but quite a few of them, like most of the big East with the exception of maybe like the Paul and Seton all it's, it's an interesting thought. No. Yeah. I just, I'd like to see it happen. Just, I mean, I think they just score all their points of offensive rebounds. Just have Nika bring the ball up, dish it out to Caroline on the wing. How are you going to get a rebound when 
Dorky Juhas and Aaliyah Edwards are in the paint with then Aubrey Griffin crashing in from the three-point line. That would it would just be very fun to watch. Um, and it also reminds me, do you remember during Stewie's senior year when there was just one game where Gino randomly decided that he was gonna bench his starting five for the first quarter and yeah, he like five in? He like hockey subbed, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, yeah, I wanted the uh, starters to play with a little more urgency and know what it was like to play in a close game. But the second string was still up by like 25 at the end of the first quarter. <laughs> I don't think we talk about that game enough. Yeah. It's like, that's just like the story of like Stewie's like season. Like that team was just so good. <laughs> I still maintain that they could have played anyone forever. Like if that team, if injuries weren't a thing and just in a vacuum or like a simulation, you could simulate every single game and UConn was never going to lose ever yeah. with that team. I just really don't believe they ever would have. I agree. I think that they would have just, yeah, won forever. It would have been wonderful. <laughs> just kidding. I think it was Cincinnati that game, wasn't it? It might have been. I can't remember. It was some significant yeah. <laughs> American team. <laughs> okay, so he didn't bench the entire starting five. But Stewie, Jeff, Mariah Jefferson, and Morgan Tuck were on the bench. The starting five, this is a heck of a starting five. Mm-hmm. Sanaya Chong at the point, Kia Nurse, Katie Lou Samuelson, Nafisa Collier, and Natalie Butler. <laughs> Do you want to guess? Oh, actually, the score was a lot closer at the end of the first quarter. Oh, my God. This is the funniest box score. Do you know what the deficit was or the what the lead was at the end of the first quarter? 15. No, it was only six. Oh, you know how many so it was 25 to 19 you know how many points uh cincinnati scored the rest of the game probably like less than 19 (laughs) correct 15 six points in the second quarter three points or five points in the third quarter and four points in the fourth quarter gotta love those good old fashioned you come beat downs (laughs) oh man that was (laughs) Someone needs to write a book about this game. <laughs> I need to like file this away for next August when I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel, trying to figure out what to write for the weekly. I just need to go back on about this game and write about it in so much detail. I, I could, I probably somewhere on my phone have the quotes. Cause I know I was at that game. That was like the third or fourth game I ever covered for UConn women's basketball. I, I remember being there. It was, insane man for as much respect as gino had for jamel elliott he really did kick the crap out of our teams every <laughs> if i'm not mistaken a jamel elliott cincinnati team was also the first team that uconn pitched a shutout against in a quarter oh interesting i know it was cincinnati and it was in the aac tournament in 1718 i want to say i think cincinnati only scored 20 points that entire game <laughs> and i'm pretty sure that was a jamel elliott team hang on i'm looking it up oh i'm sorry i messed up 21 points okay <laughs> yeah it was the second quarter they outscored them 26 to nothing gave up five points in the first quarter six points in the third quarter and actually got outscored in the fourth quarter 10 to 9 they won 75 to 21 Cincinnati shot 13.8% that game, eight for 58. While we're on this thread, we really need to also don't talk about the time that UConn had 95 points at halftime in the first round. I remember that game. It was like, it was like on St. Patrick's day weekend a few years ago, right? It was, it was on St. Patrick's day. 
on St. Patrick's, I remember being, I was like going to New York for St. Patrick's Day and was like getting on a train in Stanford and like got the ESPN like halftime alert or maybe it was the first quarter alert and like thought it was wrong. I was like, this cannot be correct. <laughs> it was How 50. Was the it was 55 to 19 at the end of the first quarter and it was 94 to 31 at halftime. I remember sitting there being like, they scored 94 points in a half in a half. They scored less points in the second half than they had in the first quarter. Some of the numbers from that game, um, Nafisa Collier had 20. Okay. So one, two, three, four, five, seven players reached double figures. Azrae Stevens led with 26. Fisa had 25. Megan Walker had 19. Katie Lou Samuelson had 18. Gabby Williams had 16. And Kia Nurse had 15. Batuli Kamara, shout out to Batuli, eight points. Kyla Irwin had seven points. Crystal Dangerfield only at four. That's wild. Six assists, though. Lou had a double double with uh, 18 points and 10 assists as did Kia Nurse, who naturally had a double-double with points and rebounds, as we all expected. <laughs> I talked with uh, the head coach a couple of years ago. What was his name? Joe. Joe Haig. Great guy. Because um, I did a story on UConn playing number one seeds and how like number one seeds prepare to play UConn. And he was like, yeah, I mean, I knew we were going to lose. And I knew if we played the way that we played. It was probably going to be really bad, but like I went into the locker room or I, I told the players before the game. Okay. Would you rather play a style that guarantees that we only lose by like 30 or would you potentially want to lose by like 90, but have a 1% chance of beating them. And the whole team told me that they wanted the 1% chance thing. So then we gave up 94 points in the first half and I went into the locker room and I was like, okay, well, we're definitely going to change it up. And the team was like, no, we're sticking with it. So we stuck with it. I mean, at that point, you're already down, what, 94 to 50, and they're, they're coming back from that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that was that was a fun game. I remember Gino wore really bizarre shoes that weekend. It was like he had a full suit on, but then he had sneakers that had pink soles. Like the rubber part was completely pink. And I sat next to a guy from Pittsburgh who was incredibly annoying. <laughs> I think it was the same year. It might have been a different year, actually. I might be misremembering. But yeah. Anyways, that was a nice little fun trip down memory lane. So uh, just to go off on one final tangent, have you ever seen the movie Coco? No, I have not, actually. Uh, okay. Well, um, Kim Mulkey looks exactly like, I don't know who the character is, but the woman in the movie Coco. So <laughs> if you're still listening to the podcast at this point, please tweet us a photo of just Google... I actually don't even know what you would Google. Um, well, this is Halloween themed. It's a Halloween movie. Coco. I actually don't know what this movie is called. I should have. Oh, there's a Halloween version of Coco? Coco. No, I think it is a Halloween movie. Oh. Yeah, okay. Pixar movie. Ha- Coco. Oh, um, nope, that's not it. Um, Skeleton Mom? Anyways, if you Google... See, I... It would really help if I knew the movie to be able to point you in the right direction about who I'm talking about. But um, if you've listened to this far, Google <laughs> Coco movie. And on one of the first ones, there's going to be like a in Google images. There's going to be a photo of everyone standing around like a little boy. And the woman looks pretty much exactly like Kim Mulkey. 
Have you found the photo that I'm talking about? No, it's not what I Okay, hang on. I'm sure I'll... <laughs> I'll send it to you quickly. So if, if you're still listening, please send us that photo on Twitter. <laughs> if you're not on Twitter, uh, I don't know. I think my email is somewhere on the website. Email it to me. But anyways, is that not Kim Mulkey? I mean, it is. It is. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. I think that'll do it. Yeah. LSU got some votes in the AP poll. That's not surprising. No. Honestly, I respect that over Notre Dame getting votes. <laughs> that one at least makes a little bit of sense. I mean, this isn't meant as a knock on Neil Ivy because I don't have an opinion on her, but she hasn't proven anything at the college level. Like she hasn't proven that she's a good coach yet. At least Kim Mulkey, there's going to be some sort of bump with LSU, even if the team is the exact same. I really hope LSU ends up on UConn's future schedules. Kim Mulkey's the worst, but like she's entertaining. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> At least we have a Jeff Walls press conference again. Yes, I can't wait. <laughs> They're really the best. You can follow Megan on Twitter at Megan Gower. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel B. Connolly. Be sure to subscribe to the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly. Be sure to subscribe to the show on wherever you listen to your podcast apps. Rate it. Tell a friend. Megan, anything to close this out? Happy 16 days to the season and happy Halloween.